Hello and welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm your host, the Professor, and my co-host is the DJ. How are you going, DJ? I'm doing good. Doing good. It's the uh, end of a very funny week. Uh, t- Trump's do- um, blocking TikTok. Um... Yeah. Yeah, it'll be fun to see how that shakes out. Yeah. Would you ever use it? No, I wouldn't. I'm too old for TikTok. <laughs> or I'm somewhere in the space between being Gen Z or whatever it is who uses TikTok and being a boomer who uses TikTok. <laughs> because those are the two groups of people who I see using TikTok. Although Instagram is doing um, their own version of TikTok, and interestingly enough. Yeah, so is YouTube and Microsoft spying TikTok. Oh, interesting. Yeah, we'll have to see where things go. How how crazy was that um, Beirut blast? It's insane. Yeah, they were saying some are, the conspiracy theories are like some saying it's an attack, some say it's a some accident in the workplace. Yeah, I think it's probably an accident. Don't attribute to malice what can be explained by stupidity. In this case, the stupidity being that the uh, government in charge of customs, so the Beirut Beirut Customs Department, left. Uh, 3,000 tons of of fertilizer in a warehouse in the middle of the city. And oh. the only reason it's not worse is because it happened in the evening on a day when nobody was at work because of the COVID. That's, that's the only saving grace from that yeah. whole thing. The irony being that COVID has just saved hundreds of lives. Oh, man. <laughs> but anyway, what have you done with my co-host, DJ? <laughs> Where's Devi Boy? Oh, Debbie boy. Oh, Debbie I go away boy. for a week, and what have you done? Have you killed him? No, <laughs> he's not dead. I mean, he's he went to a far, far away land. All right, you can just say he went back to uni. Yeah, well, okay, fair enough. <laughs> well, that was the far, far away land, but okay. It's not that far. I can get there in 20 minutes on the bus. <laughs> anyway, our first topic for tonight is about a beetle that makes frogs shit themselves. <laughs> So, this is a new superpower, huh? <laughs> yeah. The, that beetle just... Its superhero name is Brown Note. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, um, make a cartoon out of this? Fro- um, fro- no. Like- let's not make a cartoon out of this. <laughs> I don't want to see this. <laughs> Oh, man, I bet Adult Swim would be thinking, this would be a great cartoon. No, no, this will not make a great cartoon. <laughs> so, the, um, yes, this beetle is the Regimbathia at- attenuata, which is a water-dwelling beetle, and in 93% of cases, using uh, five frog species, the beetles came out unscathed. So, because these frogs don't have teeth, they eat their prey whole. And when you feed them these uh, these beetles, the beetle is able to pass through the frog's digestive tract and find its way out. <laughs> it's it just reminds me of that Simpsons episode when um when Homer was a big tall giant and he's eating all he accidentally eats a ta- eats one of the townspeople and the townspeople is like I I've, I found a way out but it's not pretty but it'll do. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but this is the first case of uh, prey stimulating excretion to escape. I wonder what, what, why hasn't any of the other um, small insects have come up with this idea? 
Well, I imagine it's pretty hard to um to actually evolve this kind of ability. And I like here it says um when the living fro- um uh, li- when the living beetle uh, makes its way through a frog, it's a faster than usual process. The quickest journey uh, took just six minutes. Yes, and I see from a um <clears throat> from the summary of this paper that when beetles were coated in well. The air pockets on the beetle's legs were filled with wax. The beetles were killed in the digestive system and excreted over 24 hours later. So that's um going from over 24 hours to six minutes. <laughs> I'm just thinking of, you know that scene in Flubber where the guy accidentally swallows Flubber? Yeah. And it, it bounces around in his insides and then shoots out of his bum? <laughs> No way. <laughs> yes, there is always a, a Robin Williams reference, apparently. Oh, that that's a very innovative way. I, I will say that's a very innovative way of getting out of a situation. It is. I mean, they normally if, if someone gets eaten now, they would just um like t- they would um tear tear their insides from the ins tear the insides from the inside kind of thing. But this yeah, just... there's other ways. Puffer fish swell up. And have spines to make it too uncomfortable to eat them. I'm just looking at it. The beetles are already used to watery environments, and their streamlined shape may help them navigate the long tubular structure that leads the frog's butt. I'm disappointed there aren't more puns in this article. (laughs) Uh, What else did they say? Oh, and the researchers believe that the beetles have adapted their bodies and behavior over time to survive. Are almost after almost becoming a frog's meal, the beetles inspire using uh, uh, respire using a small air pocket beneath the wings, so they could feasibly survive the oxygen-free conditions of a frog the digestive tract. Their hard skele- exoskeleton may also offer protection against acidic digest- digestive juices. So it's basically like, um, okay, uh, it also reminds me of that other episode when um, the Simpsons were, were shrunk to fit into Mr. Burns's body. What a um in a space reference. Yeah. <laughs> Although I w- I'm surprised that these beetles haven't come to Australia. Well, things here generally have big teeth. I mean, the frogs don't, but why would you think they'd be in Australia? I don't know. Maybe uh, they could uh, kill the frogs in a-, in a way. Can we train these beetles to kill cane toads? <laughs> well, that would be that 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 would be a feat in itself. If it actually happens, that'll be very, that'll be amazing. So uh, they said that this is the first time, this is the first study to document an active prey escape from the vent of a predator, and to show that the prey may provoke predator defecation to hasten escape from inside the predator's body. Yeah, it, um, you, I mean, I've never heard of anything doing it before. This is like something. Uh, it, it's it, this is like something out uh, science fiction. The more you read, the more you read about this, it's like. Wow, I wonder if any other animals have done this before besides the beetle. I wonder if, it, if we need to was... do more science. <laughs> I wonder if, it, if 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 this if this is the same case for human bodies because I think a human body would, even though it's different from a frog's body, it's the same. It wouldn't be the same, would it? I don't know. In fact, why don't you find out? I'll go water a box of these beetles. <laughs> uh, nah, I don't want to be the first person to get experimented on. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, you're not the first. The first was the frog. <laughs> I meant the first human, but okay. Frogs are people too. Although it's, uh, I'm just wondering, like, I wonder what's the pH level of a frog's stomach. 
Must be pretty much more acidic than ours. Well, you'd think less acidic, or it would dissolve the the beetle. Yeah. Each level frogs. Uh, ugh. it varies. So it could be as low as two point five, but uh, I've got one here saying that the pH level a frog can tolerate. Um. Well, that's four... different. Yeah. Because humans <clears throat> have a much smaller pH level that they can tolerate compared to the inside of their stomach. Like, if you get a hole in your stomach, an ulcer, you get your insides all messed up. Yeah. <clears throat> Crazy part about this would be, can you imagine in future movies, like, they imagine they make a remake of uh, Honey, I Shrunk, I Shrunk Our Kids. They'd be like, look, there are some, <laughs> these are the bugs right there. We could use them to, sub- to, go- to survive through this me- ordeal. Yeah, please no. <laughs> a, um, don't reboot another classic movie and ruin it. Two, <laughs> no. No. Uh, I'm giving Hollywood too many bad ideas, aren't I? You are. <laughs> so we should move along. Yep. <laughs> Before we pass. <laughs> oh, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> We're making too many puns, are we? Uh, there's not that not that many puns, but no, that was a good one for once, DJ. <laughs> so, um, are you aware of the company Take Two? Yeah, they're the um, they're the company that made um, GTA. Well, they and... didn't make it; they published it. Yeah, they made. Um, wasn't they? Weren't they the ones that made the Outer Worlds as well? Or am I thinking of a different company? Uh. No, I think you're thinking of a different company. One second. Yeah, they are the public interactions. Well, they're also responsible for the absolutely abysmal uh, WWE 2020. Oh, yeah. Oh, oof, oof. Yeah, developed by uh, Visual Concepts, but published by 2K. Yeah, oof. Yeah, of all those horrible bugs. <laughs> it's, I think, the only one that they've... Um, withdrawn from sale before the previous years has been withdrawn or had had its server shut down or something. Yeah, they're famous for the 2K labels, yeah. Oh, yeah, then they were famous for the other games like Borderlands as well. Yeah. <clears throat> yes, they publish a lot of things. And uh, this year, probably due to the pandemic, their first quarter net is up 136% over last year. Huh. And 90... Uh, 92% of that were digital. So they're only selling 8% of their product, well, sales, as physical discs. That does not sound good. No, it's um not good for the uh, the collectors, because Take-Two are saying that they reckon it won't be long before we're entirely digital. I mean, he's not wrong there. I mean, like, look at the PS5 recently. Like, there are two versions of the console, like... You've got the one with this with the uh, CD port, and the other one with just a digital only um, edition. So I mean, he's not wrong there. Yeah. And plus, nowadays, um, more and more gaming companies are also transitioning to um, digital as well. As well, I mean, look at Bethesda with the uh, Fallout seventy six. Um, when you buy, when you pre order the game, every, you were all thinking, we were all thinking like, oh yeah, we get a physical copy of this game. But then when the game came out. We all we got was like a paper, a paper disc with the game code on it. Okay, so technically a uh, digital distribution, even though you bought a physical copy. Yeah. So you got the pretty game case to go on your 
uh, your shelf and go off your shelf after you installed the game and found out how rubbish it was. So none of your <laughs> friends ever know you bought it. Yeah. It was so bad. Just so bad. Uh, no, they did actually publish Outer Worlds. Ah, okay. Which was uh, another flop. Everyone really? was like, this is going to kill Bethesda. Nope. It, uh, unfortunately, Obsidian weren't able to pull off a Bethesda killer because Bethesda has like 20 years or more of experience doing this. So starting from scratch, uh, I didn't really expect Obsidian to, you know, pull it off, but they got close. Hopefully the sequel will do better. Yeah. See, the the problem with when, when you get like digital games, though, is the fact that you have to deal with um, like uh, I'm thinking when I'm saying digital, I meant like um, you're streaming the game through P- the PSN network, for example. Oh yes. Um, like yeah, just... if the if you live somewhere that doesn't have great internet, or the eventually the network will go down and you won't be able to download the game anymore then you no longer have access to it, which sucks for preservation. And the downside to that is that, um, yeah, you can't, like, want, like you're in the middle of a, of a very, like, hype, very um good game, and all of a sudden, like, oh, internet buffering, you're like, ah, oh, dang it! Well, that's only if you're playing the, um, like, they don't mean, by digital distribution, they don't mean uh, playing it on a cloud server like Google Stadia or GeForce Now. They just mean you buy the game online. Okay. So like Steam. Ah, okay, yeah, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, so no buffering there. That'd be an interesting one though as well. Like, who's who will take the who will take the rights? Will Epic Game Store or will Steam take it? That'd be the other question. Uh, Take Two has their own store for some of their games. So Rockstar has a um their own distribution platform. I just hope they don't decide. Hey, let's set up our own um our own company-only distribution platform. Because, yeah, that worked wonders. Yeah. Well, it does. It makes tons of money. But yeah, we're starting to get to the point where companies are splitting off to make their own one-company-only store. And that's uh, what's going to kill Netflix. But Sorry. it's not that I'm worried about killing Netflix or that, you know, the competition's good. But what I don't like about it is that it, it's bad for the consumer since instead of having one company, like one or two companies that are competing on price and content, you have dozens and still have to pay your fifteen dollar or whatever uh, membership at each different store. Yeah, and the, um, <coughs> if I'm, I'm also assuming that uh, gaming prices will also be affected as well, wouldn't they? Yeah, gaming prices are starting to go up. Like the game price is going up. I think uh, I've noticed more and more hundred dollar games on Steam. And I do remember the Take-Two CEO, I think, uh, said the other day that the price of games is going up because the quality of the game is going up. And I just had to laugh at that because uh, Take-Two published um, WWE 2020, Red Dead Online (laughs) is a flop. Red Dead 2 was, you know, was good, but Red Dead Online was a flop. So I don't think anyone's going to be spending money for that. (laughs) I doubt it, but uh, the downside to it, like the downside to it, would be like guys like me who love the collector's editions. Like, um, we kind of left out because they were saying because normally like those are the things that will entice people to buy the games. Like making it digital only, yeah, sure, it's fun and all, but there there isn't any enticement, you know, to get the game. 
like making it digital only just ruins the the um the ex the enticement factor. So you're upset that you can't get toys to go with your game. Really toys to go with my game, but more like um what stuff would be in in a game kind of thing, like additionals, like a DLC or um. Good DLC shouldn't be part of a pre-order bonus. I think they should. Like you can because... include it if you're going to sell a a bonus that includes the season pass or whatever. But there shouldn't be DLC that's only available as a pre-order bonus or on a specific platform. What do you think would be the biggest problem for uh, for this type of situation, though? In 10 years or 20 years, when the company shuts down or decides to change or anything could happen, that will stop you being able to play the games you paid for. I'm going to be yeah. very angry when that happens. But wouldn't they just, wouldn't those types of games in like 10 or 20 years, wouldn't they be just moved into retro, retroware? Yeah, but you can't, we've always been able to preserve games, retro games, by cracking them. Because there are exemptions under the, um, under all the copyright acts, most of the copyright acts, I suppose, around the world to hack a game to preserve it. And that includes stuff like removing CD checks, uh, removing DRM, and of course, if you're doing that, then going and throwing it up on Pirate Bay, you're going to get sued for pirating a game. But if you if you wait until the game developer is out of business, or it's been twenty years and they've moved on, it stops being it stop it stops being as likely that you'll be uh, sued for it. But the um, if you don't have access to you know don't have access to the game files, you can't crack it. Yeah. So if these stores shut down and you don't have a copy of the game downloaded, you can't crack it. You can't track down a CD. Like you can go on eBay and buy CDs for retro games and use them as the base for your crack. There's communities like uh, Redump who aim to catalog every every version of a CD that was published. You know the Europe, the American, the Japan version, uh, which patch level it's at can't do that with the digital edition also with the digital digital edition it's easy for the developer to replace your copy of the game with an inferior copy through patching which is what happened to warcraft 2 no warcraft 3 they released a um remaster of that that was really bad people didn't like it but couldn't go back because the original game ceased to exist that's another thing that you mentioned the whole piracy thing are we gonna see a repeat of the G two A G G two A or G two G? G two A. Yeah, that's the one. The G two A um piracy controversy. No, I think that still goes on because um the issue with that is less piracy and more people buying games from uh people buying games with stolen credit cards then selling them on G two A to money launder. Oh, okay. So, different. so you might buy a game on G2A for a couple of bucks compared to its full price of 30 bucks or whatever. Uh, that's because someone's used a stolen credit card and is laundering that money. Oh, okay. And so yeah, when they uh, do that, if the credit card owner catches them and does a chargeback, the game developer is out of the money, but the thief isn't. G2A isn't. G2A still gets their cut. Okay. And so, the person who bought the game might not even know that they've bought a illegitimate copy. But piracy, so so it's a different situation, okay? Yeah. But piracy would be a very very bad 
bad issue as well when you do dig- when you make it digital. I think not actually. I think um, since it's digital, you know, you can have like they downloaded the game, and as controversial as it is, you can have always on DRM, which is theoretically harder to crack. Practically, not always. Uh, the Nuvo is a major one, which often gets cracked right after release. Um, sometimes the developers even a little bit stupid and includes either accidentally or by sabotage includes a DRM free copy of the game in the download. Oh, how could I forget Doom? <laughs> yeah, was it Doom that did that? It was Doom. Eternal. I thought it was okay. It was Doom Eternal and was hilarious. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, so it's um, always on always on DRM should be harder to crack than, say, a CD key check. And I think um, then when we move into GeForce Now style things, it's going to be even harder to crack because you won't have access to the game files at all. You're just streaming the video like you're watching Netflix. Yeah. As a game developer, when you see um, when you when you see those types of statements, does it um, give you a what does it give you? Does it give you a sense of dread or a sense of hope when? Uh... Uh, I'm kind of worried about um, digital. Well, I'm not worried about digital only distribution because uh, that's how indie games have been distributed traditionally. Like as long as the internet's been a thing, you've been able to download games. Um, but what I am worried about is the move to dozens of different stores uh, and GeForce Now style streaming. Yeah. Because um, it I, at the moment, it's fairly easy to get onto either Steam or Epic Launcher, or if you can get a deal with Origin. Uh, with more stores, you have more bases to cover. You can't... Um, if you want maximum maximum market penetration you need to release on more stores then if it goes to just the geforce now stuff people who you know um it's actually styled after an old concept of fin clients where you don't have the computer power on your computer you just use your computer as a terminal to connect to a more powerful server yeah but if you don't have control over the server like you would in geforce now it's harder to install an indie game or a mod. So I don't know if GeForce Now lets you do mods, but um, I assume to use a game, you have to get into their their store. Uh, From what I'm seeing, they say, some are saying um, you are allowed to, and some are saying, yeah, you are allowed to. Yeah. Okay. You can now play mods on GeForce Now. Yep. Yep. See, the crazy part with digital as well is, like everyone is slow. Everyone is really pushing in, pu- pushing that whole ideal. Like digital is the is the thing now. Digital, digital, digital. Like no one values the physical copies anymore. So it's like you're losing that sense of nostalgia. Yeah, like I kind of like floppy disks just because of how tactile they are. Yeah, they're an awful storage format, but they're so tactile. Especially the really old ones. You slide them into the bay, they go clunk. You got the uh, the thing you got to flip down. Not to mention the when you put it into the disc drive and the, you can hear the whirring sound in the uh, floppy disks. Like, yeah. Like, well, I was like, man, I miss those sounds. I don't miss the um, the issues, but I miss the format. Yep. 
One thing I look forward to from digital distribution is cheaper games because they don't have to pay for distribution. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's never going to happen. Nah, it, it won't. And plus, uh, the problem with digital distribution as well is the fact that if it, you might get virus, you might get like day one problems. Yeah, yeah. The um, when games are on a disc, if you had the disc, you knew you could play that day. Uh, but now. I've been part of a couple of game launches that I've been following that uh, I've tried to play on day one and haven't been able to because the server has gone down, which isn't as much of a problem with things like Steam having absolutely colossal amounts of load balancing, Hmm. but it's still a risk. But um, anyway, speaking of money, what's your topic for tonight, DJ? Uh, So my topic um, is about... An anime uh, newspaper known as uh, Tokyo Ka- Kaizai. Uh, they published an article on Wednesday talking about the effects of COVID-19 in the anime in- industry uh, using the quotes from Anonymous Industry Insider. And the central argument is that the COVID-19 is bringing into sharp relief the existing, the not existing, the pre-existing problem with financial uh, finance and accounting in the anime industry. So the quote, the source is saying that many anime production companies are clumsy at handling the finances. And the quote is basically saying, to quote, many managers cannot read the balance sheet, cannot track the cash flowing in and out of the company, do not understand the importance of internal reserves, and only worry about living from paycheck to paycheck. So when they run out of cash, they accept work on a new anime project in order to receive the advance payment, knowing all the while that it's beyond the studio's capacity. They then they run into trouble in production and the workplace ends up in shambles. The root of labor issues in the anime industry stems from the lack of ability on the manager's part to plan ahead and improve the financials, end quote. So we've known for a while that um, anime artists are underpaid. Are they really oh, yeah. saying that the reason for that is because they, uh, the companies aren't doing the accounting properly? Oh, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, while no company has declared bankruptcy due to this COVID, about 40% of the anime companies are in the red. And um, they're currently working on projects that are planned around two or three years ago. Um, and they're feeling that the result, and they're starting to feel the results of box office lo- losses, a- cancelled anime events, and other forms of revenue. Then less anime projects will receive uh, funding in the future. So, yeah, and as a result, a band of, com- uh, com- band of companies have. Uh, come together and fund the anime in order to reduce the financial risk so it means the struggling anime studios cannot afford to invest in their own properties and must act according to the demands of the production committee so i i see where they're coming from in terms of they're losing a lot of money and now are they actually losing money or is this hollywood accounting uh what's remind me again what's hollywood accounting when they uh basically money laundering so they don't have to pay as much tax and stuff. Um, it's the former, not the latter. Okay, so we're not uncovering a yakuza conspiracy, <laughs> where the yakuza are pressing the animation studios into doing this to allow them to money launder. <laughs> oh man, that that would be funny if that happened. <laughs> so, um, one example they used it was in order. In order for the um, studio that's in charge of their own financials, is the uh, studio Kara that was founded by um, Evangelion creator Hideko Anno. And they're saying that with, 
when establishing this video, Anno familiarized himself with accounting and was able to invest 100% of the company's own capital into the Evangelion rebuild build. However, it's rare to find creative-minded people who are also skilled at handling business practices. Well, then, your accountant shouldn't be creative-minded. Like, the accountant team, accounts and finance and all of that, don't need to be the same as your animators. Yeah. They should yeah. be there to handle the money, nothing else. So I don't get why they need creatively minded accountants. <laughs> I I it, I know it's 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 Japan in this the the anime industry that also um the other issue that the article also points out is the importance of team building and training programs. Well, I mean Japan's training Japan's working schedule is insane. Yeah, don't give them an excuse to drag out the uh, work day even longer because. Proto is... Yeah. Proto... God damn it, that's what I get for looking at another tab while I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> Not Frodo, Japan. Very different. <laughs> Frodo! It's official. Frodo is Japanese. I knew it! <laughs> oh, but it's interesting, though, because um, Crunchyroll did their own investigation about the whole um, problems with the studios, and they found out that the main issue was of it was with the voice acting, which has led to resuming with some new guidelines and pace and broadcast space on television, and it's, which has many, too many slots already and not enough slots for them, which is also an interesting thing to look, to look into. Fair but, enough. Um, but what else did they say? Oh, yeah, here we go. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So here are some interesting numbers for you. So at the moment, most TV anime episodes cost around 18 to 25 million yen. So that's about $172,500 US to $239,583 to make some episodes exceeding 30 million yen, which is $287,473, with cost higher per anime episode than an hour-long primetime uh, Japanese TV drama. I mean, that's some really big numbers. They are, but how do they compare to Western animation? Oh, Western animation... Oh, ooh. I bet Western animation will be pretty much um, higher in terms of um, how much they get because uh, um, the financial scales will be pretty different. Okay. Let's see, uh, animators. So do you want me to look at the animator salary in Australia or America? I was just curious. So, so anywhere, really. In um, Australia, and from according to payscale.com, an average animator salary in Australia is 55000 and. $55,055. That's, uh... And this hourly rate is $25.67. Okay. So, yeah, that's a interesting pay scale. But compared to America, it depends on which... With American salaries, it depends on which studio. Like, for example... Uh, let's see now. Um, name a studio... What's, what's, your, what's the known studio you can think of? I don't know. No, I'm just thinking of all the ones that shut down because the, um... 
Hollywood accounting screwed them over. <laughs> okay, how about, uh, let's say, Pixar? Okay. Second. So, uh, salaries of Pixar animation vary, uh, range from an average of $48,393 to $141,431 a year. Okay. That's a, that's a Pixar. But the, it's interesting, though. Like, the interesting question you would have to ask, though, with all this, um, with all this is, would you put a union in the in in this type of scenario? I don't really know. I'm more interested. I I just want someone to get to the bottom of this and find out why Japanese anime studios are so bad at accounting. Oh, yeah, it's more of the. I reckon the the fault lies in the the fact that they don't really know how to run a company. So it's just like, oh yeah, it's uh it's easy. It's easy to run a company. Uh, we'll we'll think of the um. We'll talk about the finances later on. Let's just make some stuff. Okay. I think it's more of the. I think it's more of the. They like the art of doing the anime and don't think about the financial costs later on. And also, there's um. From what I'm seeing here as well, is that uh f- for struggling studios, this can result in negative feedback loop where they produce low quality work and does not result in a hit for the production committee. Therefore aren't in a position um, to argue for more funds next time, which in turn affects the quality of work. Because of the industry's aging workforce, um, apparently 16.5% of respondents had worked in the industry for over 30 years. The quality of anime will likely decline in the long term unless widespread training programs are implemented. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So let's move on to the games I've been playing. What have you played, DJ? I have not played at all. Slack. <laughs> Shun. Shun the unplayer. <laughs> no. No. Every boy had an excuse. He's got uni. What's your, your problem? Well, it's use the same excuse. Uni. <laughs> Slack. Please. Please don't judge me. <laughs> Why do I even share the hosting with you? You don't even play games. I play games. I just, I, I just um, try and make an effort out of it. Sometimes the effort is not there at times. Hey, well, I've been playing Death Stranding. Ooh. I'm starting to understand the uh, Kojima hype. Oh, yeah? It, yeah. Like, it takes three hours or so to actually get out of the um, tutorial. Three uh, hours? What, what? Yeah. Three hours? How the hell did you get three hours of tutorial? Well, it's a fairly slow-paced game. And, um, you know, Kojima's notorious for his long cutscenes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, wait, aren't most, aren't most Japanese games all, all full of long cutscenes? I mean, Final Fantasy is infamous for that. Yeah, but not like, um, not like Kojima. So Kojima has a... One of the Metal Gear Solid games has a like forty-five minute long cutscene. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of uh, long cutscenes, and it's slow-paced. You walk everywhere, obviously. It's a game about walking. But the weirdest part to me is that it's set in the United States after the apocalypse, but it looks like it's set in Iceland. Oh. Yeah, I'm sure the um, I'm sure they're actually used Iceland as the uh, what. The landscape inspiration. So, uh, are you still freaked out by the whole um, babies motive? Yeah, I'm still not 100% getting that, but it's, uh, you know, got a long way to go. 
I'm honestly not that far into it, considering after, you know, it took three hours to get through the uh, tutorial, and I only played for another few hours after that. The graphics are gorgeous, though, and the music is really nice. You played this on the um, PC, didn't you? Yeah. So I recommend using a um, a oh, an analog controller, so an Xbox controller or a Wooting keyboard, just because a lot of the uh, the motion works better or feels better if you can control how fast you go. Because being a hiking simulator, it um you spend a lot of time working your balance and trying not to slip over and drop your cargo. Which uh, Sam Porter Bridges is like strongest man on earth because um he can just stack up cargo on his backpack until it's taller than he is <laughs> so what's the biggest flaw you've encountered in the game i mean it's too early this to, it's too early but yeah um well this is my first kojima game so i only really knew what i was getting into from the memes but um Interestingly, the guy who plays the um, plays the character of Sam is it Sam Norman yeah. Reedus? Yeah, Norman Reedus. Oh man, that the guy's voice is just amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, big sort of big actors there who I feel like I should recognize, but they all have funny names. Like uh, Hartman is a a doctor. Deadman was a former coroner who now does some work as a doctor and some other stuff. Um, Die Hard Man is like the president's bodyguard. <laughs> I've seen some of the um, cutscenes for Dead Stranding, and Hartman is the is very charismatic. Okay, I haven't really met him yet. I've just uh, spoken okay. to him on the phone. Uh, okay, yeah. I don't know if I'd say there's any major flaws that I've come across yet. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to get onto the um, the bandwagon and say Kojima can do no wrong, but. Uh, <laughs> Because I'm sure there's some issues there somewhere. I just haven't come across them yet. I did recall, though, you sent me a message the other day saying how the loading times are long. (laughs) To be fair, that was just the initial loading. Uh, I don't know if it'll be that long when I go back to it, because I played this all in one sitting, basically. Uh, But um, that was the... So the first load into the, the start of the game took a couple of minutes, and... I send you a message saying that it, the loading times are really long because I thought that it would follow through. But um, once you're actually in game, they're not too bad. Going from like cutscene to gameplay. I was gonna say like the reason the reason why it might be such a long loading time is because this game was designed for console play and not for PC play. Well, why would that be true? Because normally, like PC, normally like um, transferring like PC. From games from PlayStation to PC, it's always a, a like a, a bit of a challenge. Like they did that with, I think it was one of the um, Rocksteady games for Batman. After the after they oh, Arkham like... City had an abysmal port. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think it's that. I think um, I could well, I'd need to buy a bigger SSD, but um, I've only got a 128 gig one, which honestly gets a bit squishy. But I could move the game to the SSD to be faster. You can't do that on a PS4. Yeah. Because uh, by default, the, I don't even know if the PS4 has a SSD option. You know, it it really feels like Iceland. I feel like every step in the game is Iceland. From I went there for the uh, the World Scout moot a few years ago, and it um it really you know 
it feels like I'm hiking in Iceland again. <laughs> That's how good the environments are. And uh, how often do they change? Do the environments change? Uh, there's only the one environment so far, really. Oh, yeah, that's right. Just the, the sort of barren volcanic uh, wasteland. It's desolate. There is a city that I'm heading towards, but um, I haven't got there yet. I can see it on the map. I don't really know what, what's going to go on there. You know, I'm kind of getting away with myself here. So I'd give it four out of five beanies. Awesome. Just because I don't want to, like, you know, it's fantastic, but... You need to play uh, more just to experience the full effect. Yeah, and so I don't want to say it's a game for everyone because it's definitely not. It's so slow-paced, and I think a lot of people would get bored of that. Makes sense. Yeah. Actually, the biggest flaw I've seen so far, in the one of the early cutscenes, a character uh, dies, and they try to defib them. And they defib them through their clothes. <laughs> That's not how medicine works. <laughs> oh... Like the first it. thing they teach you in first aid classes when they bring out the defib is take off their clothes and hope they don't wake up before you get a chance to put them back on. Uh, no, the um, you can't defib through clothes because they just block the electricity. You need good skin to skin contact. So the um, the defib kit should include scissors to cut their clothes off if you need them, uh, and a shaving kit so you can if they've got a hairy chest. So they definitely couldn't have been defibbing that character. So, on to our shout-outs. On the 29th of July, The Phantom of the Opera ended a 34-year run in West End due to the coronavirus. The Phantom of the Opera is no longer here. On the 1st of August 2020, Wilfred Brimley, who starred in Cocoon and uh, was the face of Quaker Oats, and I think he's the, the doctor in The Thing, is he? So yes, he's been um, in a lot of uh, a lot of films, like big name films. Oh yeah, he was Doctor Blair. Yeah, so he was the doctor. So he passed away on the first of August from kidney conditions in Saint George, Utah. And on the second of August, twenty twenty, the SpaceX Dragon capsule Endeavor returned to Earth. So this capsule carrying uh, Doug Hurley and Bob Benkin. Uh, has spent two months at the ISS. You uh, might remember, I think we covered the launch when it happened. The first uh, US launch using a US-built ship with US astronauts from US soil. Bloody, bloody, blah, America, according to all of the uh, media about it. I'm just excited about more spaceships. <laughs> but um, it's actually the first time that the US uh, astronauts have splashed down since 1975. So the last uh, American splashdown was the Apollo-Soyuz mission. And uh, since this was successful, they might launch another Crew Dragon next month with tourist flights next year. Yes, please, Elon, take me away from here. I can't get <laughs> COVID in space. <laughs> I like how, like, to keep the returning astronauts safe, they were quarantined for two weeks. <laughs> no, the recovery crew was. Yeah. Which is funny, because when they came back from the moon, they were quarantined. So the, the astronauts were quarantined. And on the 3rd of August, 2020, William English, the co-creator of the computer mouse, passed away at 91. So William English worked with Douglas Engelbart at the Stansford, Stanford Research Institute uh, in 1960. And their mouse was sort of adorable, but really um, 
impractical. It it didn't move very well. But you know, prototypes are prototypes. It had a single button and two wheels on the bottom. And we've also covered the anniversary of the demo they did in 1968 for the uh, computer mouse. He did a lot. He did a lot of work on that um, demo. Yeah, it says um, Bill did the audio visuals, set everything up, and staged a 90-minute presentation, uh, speaking to Engelbart and others through headsets. Unfortunately, Bill died of respiratory failure on July 26, 2020. And uh, another tragic one on the 4th of August, 2020. Frances Allen, the first woman to win a Turing Award for contributions to computing, passed away at 88 from Alzheimer's disease. So um, she won her AM Turing Award in 2006, which is basically the Nobel Prize in computing. It's the highest possible award you can get for uh, computer science. And they still use her work today in the field of compilers and optimization. And she was also the first female IBM fellow in 1989. On to our other remembrances. On the 4th of August, 1875, Hans Christian Andersen. Hans Christian Andersen was a Danish author who wrote plays, travelogues, novels, and poems, but is best known for 156 fairy tales. The most famous include The Emperor's New Clothes, The Little Mermaid, The Nightingale, The Steadfast Tin Soldier, The Red Shoes, The Princess and the Pea, the Snow Queen and the Ugly Duckling, uh, the Little Match Girl, and Thumbelina. Now count how many of them have been used by Disney to make money. <laughs> and how did Disney get access? Because they were public domain, and now Disney refuses to let things go public domain. Screw yeah. you, Disney! <laughs> <laughs> and there we have it, that's uh, the Professor's witty retort to Disney. <laughs> yep. So, um, at the time of his death, he was internationally revered, and the Danish government paid him an annual stipend as a national treasure. Watch out, the cage is going to steal him. He died of liver cancer at 70 in Osterbro, Copenhagen. Copenhagen. And on the same day, 1977, Edgar Douglas Adrian, the first Baron Adrian, the English electrophysiologist and winner of the 1932 Nobel Prize in Physiology. He won it jointly with Sir Charles Sherrington for work on the function of neurons. And he provided experimental evidence for the all-or-none law of nerves. Now, you were telling me about that the other day, DJ. Was that um, when the when you reach like the maximum sensation that your nerve can transmit, it stops transmitting? That's what the it's saying here. The all-or-none law is the principle that the strength of which a nerve or muscle fiber responds to stimulus is independent of the strength of the stimulus. If that stimulus exceeds the threshold potential the nerve or muscle fiber will give a complete response otherwise there is no response okay so basically uh one second it's it's like firing a gun so it's a, a slight a very slight pressure on the trigger will not be sufficient and the gun will not fire but when adequate pressure is applied on the trigger however it will fire the speed and the gun and the force of the bullet are not affected by how hard you pull the trigger. The gun either fires or it does not. Okay. <clears throat> so Edgar Adrian's work led to uh, the idea of the homunculus, homunculus, which is the body sensory map of itself. He died at 87 in Cambridge. On the 4th of August 2014, James Brady passed away. James Brady was the assistant to the U.S. president and 15th White House press secretary, serving under President Ronald Reagan. 
1981, he was permanently disabled from a gunshot wound during the attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan. And even though he didn't die until 2014, his death was ruled a homicide caused by the gunshot wound he received 33 years earlier. So when the um, when the gunman, 25-year-old John Hinckley Jr., attacked uh, Reagan and his cabinet, Brady took the first of the six bullets fired. Oh man, what a brave soul. Yeah, the, um, the wound left him with slurred speech and partial paralysis. Yes, it's unfortunate he uh, seems to have suffered quite a bit of brain damage by his symptoms. Have you seen, um, I was looking at Hinckley's uh, bio, and uh, there's so many conditions to his release, it's amazing. Well, I see that um that Hinckley didn't face any charges for killing Brady, because uh, he's not guilty by reason of insanity. So what are some of those conditions? Uh, he's not, um, he's not allowed to watch porno, um, second, let me get, oh yeah, here we go, the prohibitions, using alcohol, possessing, uh, any firearm, ammunition, or other weapons or memorabilia of Jodie Foster, uh, especially photos, magazine articles, uh, contacting Reagan's family, Brady's family, Jodie Foster, Foster's family, Foster's agent, from watching or listening to violent movies, television, um, compact discs, from accessing printed or online pornography, uh, online access to violent movies, television, movies, novels, or magazines, speaking to the press, visiting homes, past homes, uh, or graves of the current presidents, past presidents, um, certain past or present government officials, erasing his um, computer's web browser history. (laughs) <laughs> the requirements are also interesting as well. So he's required to work at least three days per week to leave uh, immediately if he finds himself approached pro- prohibited places to record his browser history, to not drive from his mother's home more than 30 miles, which is 48 kilometers unattended, 50 miles, 80 kilometers while attended. Man, that's a lot of conditions. Now, hold on. What's with Jody Foster? Is he a stalker as well? I think so. Yeah, he um, apparently he he was uh, reportedly seeking fame to impress um, actress Jodie Foster, for whom he had an ob- obsessive fixation. Reminds me of that guy who tried to bomb Bjork. Oh yeah. Oh no. Oh, I saw a video of that. I just I was like, uh, no, no, yeah, no, no. he um killed himself on camera, professing his love for B- Bjork or something oh. like that. Yeah, and uh, the cops managed to catch up with his package containing a an acid bomb. Oh, I saw a YouTube video talking about the whole thing. I'm just like, <laughs> oh. Um, it reminds me of um the the bit about the internet history. It reminds me of a uh, a radio show by Collective Noun. So they used to do a radio show. Now they do a podcast. But one of their bits was um was looking at one of the hosts Google history and asking him to explain the weird stuff. <laughs> I can just imagine him going into a meeting with his, um, I don't know, FBI agent, whoever it is, whose job it is to follow up with him and make sure he's not oh, causing point. trouble. And then being like, okay, on February 30th, <laughs> February 30th, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Wow. Um, did the venture hit you that hard to see the February has 30 days? On wow. February 30th, you looked up, <laughs> This weird stuff. What's the reason for that? <laughs> oh man, <laughs> Hickley. If Hickley 
was to see that, he'd be like, I didn't have February 30th. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, so anyway, that's a um, bit of a crazy case being uh, guilty of murder 33 years after the attempt. Or found not guilty, but, you know. Um, well, he, I, I feel sorry for the guy. I mean, going through... Oh, Brady all, or Hinckley? Uh, Brady, yeah. With Brady, like, yeah. we had to deal with all... 33 years of uh of brain damage yeah yeah seems to have um so his neurosurgeon said that he had issues with his emotions deficits in memory and thinking and failing to recognize people so on to the uh the famous birthdays on the 3rd of august 1811 elisha otis was born elisha graves otis was an american industrialist who founded the otis elevator company and Otis was also responsible for inventing safety devices to protect the occupants of the elevator if the cable fails. So he was cleaning up a, a factory and wanted to know how he could get debris up to higher levels. And he looked into a few options and couldn't uh, stand the risk involved. So he got together with his sons and were like, let's make an elevator that isn't deadly. And he didn't patent it or request a bonus for it or try to sell it. It wasn't until uh, after he'd already sold a couple of elevators to other companies and the uh, his existing factory declined that he decided he would make a business out of uh, elevators. So uh, in a demonstration at the New York Crystal Palace, he ordered the rope holding his elevator cut and Axemen cut the rope and the platform fell only a few inches before coming to a halt in front of a crowd. Elisha was born in Halifax, Vermont. Can you and... imagine being the uh, being being the guy that was selling the product and it all goes wrong? Reminds me of um, I mean, there's that guy who was demonstrating that the windows in his skyscraper were unbreakable, <laughs> and he was he would demonstrate that by throwing himself against the window. No, sure, the the glass was unbreakable, the frame wasn't. The whole window <laughs> panel popped out, and he fell to his death. <laughs> I think he got a Darwin Award. <laughs> so imagine being the Axeman if that all went wrong. Oh, like you no. chop the rope and Elisha falls and dies. You've just got a, a death on your hands. Uh, on the 4th of August, 1834, John Venn was born. John Venn was an English mathematician, logician, and philosopher who introduced the Venn diagram, which, if you don't know, is that diagram using two circles that overlap so you can sort things into categories and then have a subcategory for things that belong in both groups. He also was a bit of an inventor. He built a machine to bowl cricket balls and when Australian cricketers were visiting Cambridge, the machines were used to entertain them. The machine bowled out the top-ranked player of the team four times consecutively. John was born in Kingston-upon-Hull, Yorkshire. On the 4th of August 1975, Andy Hallett was born. Andy Hallett was an American singer and actor who played the part of Lorne in the television series Angel. He used his singing talents on the show and performed songs on the soundtrack. It wasn't until uh, Joss Whedon and his uh, friends saw Hallett singing at the B.B. King's Lounge at Universal City Walk that he thought of Lorne, who would be an angel who... Sorry, an anagogic demon who reads the hearts and futures of his guests as they sing in a karaoke bar. And it uh, took two and a half hours of makeup before he could, uh, before he could begin filming because of the prosthetics involved. 
And on to the events of interest. On the 4th of August 1936, Jesse Owens won the long jump in Germany. So Jesse Owens won the uh, gold in the um, long jump, which was the second of four gold medals he would win in the Berlin Olympics, which um, is a bit awkward for Hitler because part of the Olympics in 1936 was for Hitler to show off how great the Aryan master race were. So Owens set uh, won a third world record, third gold medal, and set a second Olympic record of the games in the 200 meters run. Uh, then a few days later, he helped his team set the a world record in the four by 100 meter relay. Although he was criticized for replacing two American Jews in the uh, relay team, which they were criticized for appeasing Hitler and the Nazis, who would have been even angrier to see Jews win a race. <laughs> I'll imagine Hitler. He sees like, oh, no. absolutely steaming, like <laughs> sitting up in the uh, up in the stands. Look how great our blue-eyed, blonde-haired Germans are! And then you know, seeing just some random black guy from America just being like, "Nope," and zooming off. <laughs> if I were there, I would just give Hitler the finger. <laughs> just go like, yeah, "Screw you, Hitler! America's better than you, than you Germans." Let's be honest, it's not hard to be a better person than Hitler. Uh, on the 4th of August 1944, Anne Frank was captured. Acting on a tip from a Dutch informer, the Gestapo captured Anne Frank and her family, who were hiding in an Amsterdam warehouse. They'd lived in the warehouse since 1942 out of fear of deportation to a concentration camp. So Anne's diary survived the war and was given back to her father after the uh, the war, but unfortunately Anne... Um, Anne and the rest of her family perished in the camps. In 1947, her father Otto published it in Dutch, and it was eventually translated into more than 70 languages. And on the 4th of August 1995, uh, the movie Virtuosity premiered theatrically. This was Denzel Washington's attempt at science fiction. So with a budget of 30 million, it only made 24 million at the domestic box office. And the plot summary is... A virtual reality serial killer manages to escape into the real world. I mean, that just sounds like someone who um, likes playing video games, like someone who's really high ranked in COD or something, and deciding, <laughs> "Hey, I could do this in real life." <laughs> I'm sure it goes deeper than that. It just reminds me of the Lawnmower Man, where it's like, "Oh yes, I'm a Lawnmower Man by day, but I'm a virtual reality serial killer by night." Yeah, kind of the other way around though, because he starts off as a VR killer. And then becomes a real world killer. But uh, that is all we have for tonight. Where can they find us, DJ? Uh, they can find us on Facebook. Uh, that's not canon.com, where we have an archive of our old episodes. Uh, Twitter, Instagram. And um, they can also find us on um, Pod Hero, where, uh, where your support will be, put, will be grat- grateful to us. Um, as we we uh, value your your contributions in creating cool content for you guys. Yeah, so on Pod Hero, uh, you can subscribe for five dollars a month, and then your subscription is split between the podcasts you listen to. So if you just listen to us, we get the full five dollars. If you listen to us and some of the other great that's not canon podcasts like uh, Scared Shitless, <laughs> then you know half of that would go to us and half to them. <clears throat> There we go, DJ. Did you see that segue into a That's Not Canon shout-out? <laughs> yes. Don't forget to put that in the show notes. 
But that is all we have for tonight. So uh, look after yourselves and we will see you next week. See you guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.